Welcome to WLN's Breaking Barriers podcast. On this show, you will hear the incredible real-life experiences from accomplished, inspiring women leaders. Together, we will learn, discuss, and discover how to effectively overcome challenges, break barriers, and better navigate our personal and professional lives. You will feel transformed and inspired to take action with practical strategies to help you succeed. We are stronger together and so grateful for you, our listeners, and our guests. Your continued support allows us to keep developing Breaking Barriers and provide you with great content. To donate and become a member of our community, please go to patreon.com forward slash WLN Breaking Barriers or click on the Become a Patron button on your favorite podcast platform. Let's keep breaking barriers. Fatima Zaid is a CEO and co-founder of Quill Inc., the world's first one-stop marketplace where podcasters can find pre-vetted expert freelancers who will save them time, improve their podcast quality, and help grow their audience. With the expertise of veteran technical marketers, unique access to podcasting data, and a CEO that comes from a sales hacking background, she has positioned Quill to be a fast-growing company. She is also the owner of Listening Conference, held in LA, that supports brands moving into podcasting. As a member of the National Speakers Bureau, she has spoken at various events around the world on media and tech trends leading her to keynote on world stages alongside speakers like Richard Branson. In addition to being a commentator for BNN Bloomberg, she is a frequent contributor to publications including the Globe and Mail and Huffington Post. Over the past few years, she has won two top 30 under 30 awards and the Young Professional of the Year by Notable Life and was named one of Flair Magazine's top 100 women. Her company has also just recently been nominated for two business awards from the Canadian SME National Business Magazine Awards sponsored by RBC. And now I would like to welcome Fatima to the Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm interviewing lots of interesting people and your profile really, as soon as I I saw some of the things you're doing, I was like, wow, that's like, I want to learn more. And one thing that I start with every guest is asking, so when you were younger, what did you want to be? No, I I really find that question really interesting um, because I feel like the process of, you know, getting older is ever so evolving. And I remember getting asked that question when I was younger all the time. And, and my dad was like, well, what do you mean when she's older? It's not like she's just going to be one thing. She's going to be so many different things and hopefully her career is going to keep evolving. And so I think I'm one of the few people that didn't have one concrete image of what my life was going to look like when I was older. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I wanted to be a serial entrepreneur. Um, and this is back when being an entrepreneur wasn't sexy, thanks to shows like Dragons and Shark Tank. I mean, I think it was yeah. a pretty novel concept back then, but I knew that I wanted to sort of solve a business problem and be my own boss. And that's what the full scope of uh, entrepreneurship looked like in my very naive bubble. Um, I thought that if I was going to be my own boss, I wouldn't have to be accountable to anyone, which 
Well, let me tell you, you couldn't be further from the truth now that I'm actually in it. But oh, you know what? That's the, you live and you learn. <laughs> exactly. You know what? That's so interesting. Nobody's ever said that before in, in terms of having that type of support from parents and from other mentors in terms of the idea and the concept. And I think maybe it's, would you agree that maybe even this generation is seeing that you're not just one thing? You know, when our parents grew up, it was always you start a company and then you retire and Mm -hmm. you have a pension. Absolutely. I mean, I think it was just so common in our parents' generation. My dad worked for the government for like 45 years. My mom was um, a stay-at-home mom and her full-time job was taking care of her children for, you know, she's still taking care of us. So I would argue like well into 30, 30 plus years, but Um, I think that it's interesting because whenever I get asked that question today, what do you do? I I really don't know how to answer it because I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a professional speaker. I um, am a commentator for BNN. I, you know, am represented by the agency. I own a conference as well as a podcasting company. I'm co-chair of Tech for Sick Kids. I write for publications like the Globe and Mail. Like what, how do you distill that down into this one statement? And so I think that question sort of needs to be rephrased for the future generations, which is, you know, how do you see your career evolving and changing uh, as you get older? And what are your sort of incremental milestones? In your career, maybe take us back. Like, how did you, you know, uh, when you start out and you're studying and you're trying to figure out your, your place in the world, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey as to how you became this you know, powerful individual that is so inspiring that does all these different things. How did it kind of start? So I was actually born and raised in the Middle East um, in this like small country called Oman, which is uh, between Yemen and Dubai. It's a very small country. I was born there. My dad was a government worker, like I mentioned, and my mom, you know, didn't work for the majority of my of my childhood. So for me, you know, going off to college or university was, I knew that that was going to happen for me at some point. I didn't know where, or how that would look like. And so when I turned 18, my parents were like, okay, like you can choose where you want to go to school. And I picked Canada and I picked Canada in hindsight for a couple of reasons. One, I couldn't afford the U S um, in, in hindsight, it ended yep. up being a blessing. You can't connect the dots looking backwards. Um, and then the second reason is I, I felt then in the limited knowledge that I had of the world and, and North America, that Canada was maybe one of the few places in the world where people were rewarded based on their hard work and merit rather than their background, their gender, the color of their skin. And actually, I still really, now that I'm here and, and in this country, and this country has given me so many opportunities, I, I do truly believe that while we do have a lot of work to do in terms of racial and gender and, you know, all types of equality, I would say that we are miles ahead of most countries in the world, especially where I grew up. So that's actually why I left Oman. I wanted a better life. And I ended up here. I went to University of Toronto and did a corporate stint for a few years after I graduated and and realized that really the corporate world wasn't for me. So I ended up joining the startup circuit to help companies scale. Uh, sales was always my background and eventually decided to, you know, keep learning on other people's dime and eventually took the sort of plunge into entrepreneurship myself. And so I think having a background in sales and scaling startups was a very transferable skill that really helped prepare me for uh, this new experience. 
Yeah, I have a strong background in entrepreneurship as well. And I definitely agree. That's one of the key skills for sure to have. Mm -hmm. And so for you, and I know this is true for myself, it's, there's this pull where you can't even imagine yourself going back into the corporate world. Like that it's, do you, would you agree with that? And so for you, like, did you, was that instantaneous when you okay. found yourself being around inspiring entrepreneurs that were starting things and having ideas? Did you find yourself also starting to think of new ideas? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. When I was at U of T, I did like a few jobs to put myself through school and I really enjoyed my experience at those three jobs. You know, it was like waitressing and, um, I was, you know, on, I worked at a call center and I loved those experiences of being scrappy and in the trenches. And then I joined the corporate world and I worked at two corporations, two very, very large corporations back to back because I didn't know any better. I didn't have anyone to expose me to this entrepreneurial lifestyle. And, and I didn't like startups was so foreign to me. I didn't even know what that was. And again, but this is back when, you know, Shark Tank and Dragon's Den wasn't really a thing. So when I was at this corporate world, there was just so much red tape and it was so bureaucratic and there was so much seniority and tenure and things moved so slowly. And I realized that what I was motivated by was contributing to a startup's bottom line. And the setting that I thrived in was being able to see the fruits of my labor immediately. I wasn't good in a setting. I wasn't, you know, a good worker in a setting where I was just a number, just an employee, just a cog in the machine. That to say there isn't a right or wrong way. I mean, I'm so thankful there's something for everyone. I have so many friends and family that, you know, want to climb up the corporate ladder with their executive MBAs and want that cushy job with the cushy paycheck and the benefits and the the work-life balance. And, and that's great. I'm so glad that there's something for everyone because if everybody was like us, I mean, it would be a lot harder to sort of climb through the ranks. Absolutely. And you know what? It's you need to have have different ways of of seeing things. You need to have those people that love what they do in their those different roles mm. or else, you know. So for you then, what was the, you know, you were working with startups. What mm. what was the point where you went out on your own? So my first startup stint was actually um there's there's a founder in in the Toronto tech community called Erin Burry. She's the CEO of Willful, and prior to that, she ran a marketing agency called Eighty Eight. So she is a longtime friend, family friend, and she reached out to me one day. She knew I was miserable at uh, Thomson Reuters, which is the corporation I was working at at the time, and. Um, had lots of student debt to pay back. So felt like it was the right thing to do. And she gave me a call and she said, I know that you, you know, aren't having the best time in, in this, in this role. And so I know these two women that are looking to start a company out of the basement of one of the founders. And it's, they're looking to create a spinoff of Rent the Runway, uh, which is the designer dress rental company based out of New York, which now has you know gone on to be a multi-million dollar corporation. And they're looking to start a Canadian version of that, which was you know then evolved into Rent Frock Repeat. And she said, "Are you interested in 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 chatting with them? They're looking for a salesperson to come in as a third partner and help them scale the business." and at the time, it sounded like such a ludicrous idea because like the only thing I ever knew about startups is that there's no job security, you don't get paid well, and you're just working 24-7. Ugh, I was so naive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And so I met, I met the founder, Lisa Delorme, who, you know, went on to become one of like the greatest blessings and mentors of my life. It was the best decision I made. And she, um, I had like no experience in the startup world and no experience in fashion, not a fashionable person. Clearly, as you can see, I'm wearing a onesie on this call. Um, but she, she gave me the job and she obviously saw something in me and I stayed with them for quite a few years. I really loved my experience and my time there. The company went on to do really well. They, you know, had a partnership with Hudson's Bay. They um, were across Canada National on Dragon's Den a few times. They just were um, really ahead of their times in terms of a service that they were providing to Canadians to become a part of the collaborative consumption market. And then I left that role because the same person who introduced me to Lisa, which is Aaron, poached me or brought me on to um, scale the agency with her that she was running, which is 88. Um, At my time at 88, I started noticing that there was, you know, after a few years of running the agency with her, I noticed that corporate brands and enterprise companies were really aggressively moving into the podcasting space. You know, they were looking for new ways to putting out content, reaching millennial audiences. And eventually I decided to productize our services. And that's how Quill was born. Oh, that's amazing. And so, you know, all of that, I think, you know, that risk that you took, you see the payoff and that gives you more confidence to keep going and then seek other opportunities. So in your new venture now, um, you know, is there any mentor that you were working with or that somebody that you really rely on when things are stressful, you have a lot of responsibility, you're, you're, um, taking on this new initiative and it's been really successful for you. Was there any mentors to help guide you when you weren't sure? Yeah, I think being like making sure that you're surrounding yourselves with mentors is so crucial as a CEO. You need to constantly be leveling up your skills, whether it's taking courses, reading books, being a part of um, accelerators or boot camps. I am heavily reliant on my advisory council or my advisory team, which is Aaron. Um, who is the CEO of Wolfful, who I've mentioned a couple of times on this recording. Um, Michelle Romano, the founder and CEO of ClearBank, is also one of my advisors. Bruce Croxon, also um, founder of um, Round 13, is also on my advisory board and a couple other folks who I just, you know, will tap into who are all serial entrepreneurs, very successful in their fields. And and whenever I sort of need um, advice or someone to lean on, they are definitely the, my go-to folks. And then outside of that, I am constantly reading books, podcasts, listening to podcasts, applying to boot camps and accelerators. I'm actually going through a course right now um, to level up my SEO skills, even though I have a head of marketing who's also taking the course. As the founder and CEO, I'm sitting in on those courses because I think you can never get comfortable in your role and you need to make sure that you're constantly leveling up your skills so that you can manage your team. So, yeah, I mean, I would say it's an ever evolving process and contrary to what I believed that I would not ever have to be accountable to anyone. I am now accountable to my employees, my investors, my customers, my advisors. Um, yeah, pretty much everyone. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it actually becomes more work and more, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. it. Is. And so, you know, for, if for any entrepreneurs that are listening, you know, when you started, did you actually start with an advisory team right away? I did. Yeah, I did right away. It was, it was one of the first things that I did. And I like purposely 
formed an advisory group that had very complementary skill sets and people who in our contracts, it's been built in that we every quarter have a set amount of time together where I can brain. Um, but yeah, it was one of the first things that I did. And I would say a board of directors sort of acts as the same, but for board of directors, you typically would have to, you know, raise capital at seed or series A. And so for me, we, we were only starting to think about raising capital during our later stages. So right off the bat in the early days, I had an advisory team who I leaned on and still lean on day to day for, for advice and, and direction. Right. And so um, I'm talking to a lot of people, too, about the impacts of COVID mm-hmm. and, you know, impact of COVID on your business. Have you always been used to working more virtually in some because you are a technology company, so it might be a little bit easier for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it's definitely you know, there's pros and cons. We own the Listen In Conference, which is the world's first corporate enterprise podcasting conference in LA every year. And that was supposed to be uh, the bulk of our revenue in our first year, which was right before the pandemic is when we launched. And that conference had to be pushed to next year. And so we were in a little bit of a precarious state because we, our investor pulled out at the last minute because of COVID, everyone was impacted. Our conference got pushed And so we were at a point where we probably only had a few weeks of runway left. And so that was the point where I decided to launch the agency. So our business model is the marketplace, the technology side, as well as a full service agency. We actually launched with the tech part of our our company first. And then when we realized that we had to keep our, our business afloat because we were running out of options, we pivoted and launched the agency, which has been really lucrative to us. And funnily enough, the same investors came back to reinvest in our business at a higher valuation. And we said, no, that we can now afford to bootstrap our business and we don't actually need the capital. So it was a blessing in disguise. And I would say, if you look at it through that lens, this, of course, we've been impacted like every other company where we've had to reimagine and repivot. But have we, you know, been, have we not been growing? Absolutely not. We've definitely been growing at an exponential rate. We acquired a production team a few months ago. So we've doubled overnight in both revenue and clients and employees. But of course, it's been challenging. I mean, I think one of the hardest things about COVID is keeping your team engaged and motivated and connected during these virtual times. And funnily enough, I haven't even met half of my team yet because, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we haven't been like we launched right before the pandemic. And so um, half of my team, I still haven't met. Wow. Yeah. You know what? It's I, so I'm also doing my PhD on the side mm-hmm. and oh, wow. uh, yeah. And so, but one topic, you know, you're trying to find something unique to study and one topic uh, that's really starting to to come to mind is the idea of how do you lead and how do you inspire um, your team when you're virtual? Because I think we're going to yeah. be in this environment for a while. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, it's interesting. And then also, how do you pivot and innovate when you're in a virtual environment? And it sounds it's like true. you've been able to do it very well. You know, or do you, you know, when you're in a room and you have a whiteboard and you have all your team members, imagine that, right? around the board and you're coming up with ideas and there's that energy. How, how do you replicate that virtually? I would say being virtual has its pros and cons. I mean, just from a pure financial perspective, it is, you know, more cost effective. The, the overhead costs of having an office lease is astronomical. And also people are just have more time now to be efficient. I mean, all those coffee, coffee room or cook, you know, coffee, 
water, water cooler conversations have been put on hold. People are spending less time commuting um, and getting ready for work and more time being productive and working. And so from a productivity standpoint, I would argue and say that it's actually been better. Um, but from an engagement standpoint, um, it has been challenging. We've gotten really creative. For example, on Friday, I have closed the agency for a mental health day. And, you know, we have a coffee in the morning where we're all going to talk about what we're how we're spending our mental health day. But, you know, it gives everyone an extra, extra long weekend and, you know, gives us the opportunity to spend time doing the things we love, like meditating, yoga, reading, journaling, whatever it is, however you want to spend your time. And similarly, you know, we have a lot of virtual Zoom drinks. We play Jackbox, which is like a virtual game. We, um, you know, like we, when we do Zoom drinks, I drive around dropping off drinks packages for everyone oh, who's that's nice. in Toronto. We have employees across North America. So then we'll deliver those um, packages who aren't. And then around Christmas, our Christmas um, holiday event got canceled. So I dressed up as Santa Claus and dropped off Christmas presents for oh, everyone. Wow. But, you know, you have to get creative. I mean, there's yeah. literally nothing else you can do. So I think everyone's sort of dealing with the same same challenges and struggles, but hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be reunited soon. Yeah. I actually think the companies can get emerge from this a lot stronger as well. Like it sounds like, you know, you're going to, you're building that bond. And I think, um, you know, from some of the people I've spoken to too, is that, you know, they're getting a, teams are getting more personal as well. Like, you know, maybe their daughter or son will run into the room and then yeah. <laughs> they'll be able to talk. Whereas maybe in the work environment, you, you weren't able to have your guard down as much. Mm-hmm. And so you're building that, you know, that level of trust. And so we, you touched a little bit about um, health and wellness. I think that's really important for you as a leader. Do you find that, you know, how do you maintain that balance or that um, sense of, you know, being able to get a sense of peace so you can reflect on what does the future hold versus just kind of continuing to 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 go and because there's always something to do, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I think that there's so many, and I'm not going to take any names, but there are so many incredible tech icons that I've looked up to for so many years that promote that hustle 24 seven mentality that leads to burnout where life is a race. You have to go, go, go. You have to be the hardest working person in the room. And I just, I think I gave up on that a long, not not a long time ago, but I would say as a new CEO, I I started to recognize that um, having a work, having work-life balance and making sure that I make that a priority for my employees that we actually do come to work more engaged and more productive during the hours that we're here. And we're pretty not, I would say we're pretty unapologetic about the fact that work-life balance matters to us. And of course there's weeks where sometimes you're, you know, thrown off if there's particular deadlines you're looking to to meet or particular times of the year where things are busy, but I would say balance is balance over time. And it is absolutely possible to be a successful CEO and company and still have work-life balance. And I sleep my eight hours a day. I spend time with my friends and family and my cat, Charlie. I travel, I, you know, work out every morning. I do my meditation and yoga every day and I still run a company. And I think that why shouldn't we be able to strive for balance? And I think it's gotten lost in in conversation. I'm really glad that this year COVID has sort of forced us to reset and reevaluate how fast we've been going and not giving ourselves a break. And it's almost like nature or the universe's way of being like, okay, 
let's time to hold. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, just like the environment, I was actually listening to a Jay Shetty podcast recently, and he talks about how just like the environment goes through season, summer, winter, fall, and, and spring, the same is, is true for, for yourself. There are going to be moments where you're in summer mode, where you're really productive and go, 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 and your output and efficiency is amazing. And then there's the winter months where you really slow down and, and you need to take time to reflect and disconnect and prioritize your mental health. And it's very much cyclical. And, and I think that the world should sort of approach um, their mental health in a very seasonal cyclical way as well. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think we need to stop, you know, we have this self-talk, this negative self-talk that it's like, if we're not working, we're not, you know, we're not doing, you know, that we should feel guilty for it. Whereas, (laughs) you know, if you, you force yourself, like I'm, I'm, I, I do it also. Like I'll force myself to sit down at a computer when you know you've burnt out because you, you've been working 24 seven and, you're not actually getting, if you look at the quality of the work, it's, it's really, you should have just taken it easy and, and taken a break and mental health break sure. and then get back to it. So, you know, do you also, this is another thing that I find that I hope is shifting in the world today is the idea of how I would say is like radical collaboration where in your industry um, among maybe some some other companies that you might work with that you are trying to help others, not because you're um, trying to get something out of it or not that you, you know, that you're just more collaborative just because you want to give back and you want to, I find this is a big difference between even when I speak to some individuals, I won't where it's like, well, why are you doing that? Isn't that, you know, why are you helping this person? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, I have been in sales my entire career and I've done both types of sales. I've done the sales where you're sort of a B2B sales machine automating everything. It's about your analytics quota and your churn and the amount of closes that you have every month. And then, you know, I realized that that kind of sales didn't really work for me or align with who I was. And so I changed my sales um, tactics to be more relationships-based. And I think that I have built my entire network one handshake at a time uh, through offline tactics that have the power of forming stronger relationships. And I found that um, when you sort of, you know, give out into the world and, and sort of operate in this very um, sharing collaborative space. We I call it the sharing economy. It definitely comes back full circle in, in whatever capacity. And I think that, you know, for example, right now, um, my biggest project to give back is to co-chair the Tech for Sick Kids Foundation, which, you know, for the hospital, we're raising $25 million this year, which is definitely a lot of work. And yeah. You know, I would say that it comes back full circle in so many different ways. And I think having a really strong personal brand and also supporting people really will sort of propel you to the next level when it comes to when you're when you have an ask of your community, the amount of support that you will get will really uh, come back in tenfold with what you put out. So absolutely couldn't agree more. And what advice would you have for, say, graduates that are just coming out of university into this world today? 
Well, when I was graduating and I was having a really tough time finding my first job as all new graduates, um, my mom told me to do, well, she, she calls it the rule of three, which is do three things every day to keep your network warm. And she said it could be anything like taking someone out for coffee and picking their brain. It could be adding someone on social and engaging with them, doing some research on your prospect of companies that you want to work for, whatever, three things every day to keep your network warm. And um, it's funny, I've done those three things every single day to keep my network warm since 20, 2011, which is when I, wow. 9, 10, 11, which is when I graduated 2011. And that rule of three has really snowballed into a lot of opportunities because it's it takes 60 days to grow a new neuron. And I've just done it every single day since then. And those three small things every single day has led to a lot of opportunities and milestones. Oh, that's amazing. And I love that you talk about continuous learning as being really important as well. And so how do you how do you feel that that's helped you propel or, or your career or also come up with new and innovative ideas? And do you do you look to study things that are beyond just say business? Like do you find that by studying other things or or just even listening to totally different podcasts that was completely <laughs> out of your that out of your field that it gives you new ideas? Absolutely. So I teach at U of T and um, you're allowed a set number of courses per year to take whatever whatever electives you want as well as you teach. And so mine is French because, you know, who doesn't uh-huh. want to brush up on their language skills? Um, but, you know, if you look at my roster of books and podcast. I'm, I'm a huge bachelor fan. I, I, I watch, you know, <laughs> bachelor every single Monday from eight to 10. It's like my no contact me zone period. And I listen to all of the bachelor podcasts and absolutely. I would say, you know, not that listening to the bachelor or watching the bachelor is enhancing your skills in any way, but it's sometimes you want to do something that's just so mind numbingly entertaining. Yeah. Um, and it actually helps me be more productive. Like when I, I could look to Mondays are the hardest day. And I look forward to Bachelor Mondays because I know there's two hours of uninterrupted drama that I get to, you know, view from my personal consumption on on screen. And so similarly, I would say um, for me, success is not like it's not compartmentalized or, or linear in one particular category. I think for me, especially this year, I recognize that um, many areas of my life and burners in my life were actually not turned on or not activated because I was prioritizing business so much. And I stopped to actually think about what does success look like for me in 30 or 40 or 50 years when I look back at my life, like what would I say constitutes as a successful life that I have lived? And funnily enough, my my career and my business is a very, very small sliver of that, yet I prioritize it so much in the present day moment. And so this year I have been much more intentional about meditating, about um, prioritizing my friends and family, about journaling, um, you know, evaluating my goals. So giving back, that's, you know, where I decided to prioritize Sick Kids Hospital, um, I've also um, purchased my cat Charlie this year from the uh-huh. rescue shelter. So just like things that are going to give my life meaning and give me balance to become a more well-rounded person, that's success to me, not just oh, being a really successful entrepreneur. Like that's one small burner of so many different burners. And so um, I challenge or, you know, sort of 
would, would request people who are sort of in that mindset of their career is everything right now to sort of take a step back and think about, well, if you, you know, you're on your, your last days in the mm-hmm. future, um, what are going to be some of the top regrets and actually there's a journal that I started doing this year called the human being journal by a company called Mahara mindfulness. And in this journal that I was, I was filling out in one of the exercises, it said to read this article by a nurse called Bonnie, who is a palliative care nurse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, I think I've read that. I did. Yeah. It was like the top five regrets of the dying where they interviewed all the palliative care patients over a certain period of time. And it was, I think the five learnings from that article and it's had such a profound impact on me was the first thing was, I wish I didn't work so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like I, I I went through the same thing. I had two close people uh, pass away and it was the same. And I found that article around that time and it was the exact same thing. It's like on your deathbed, you're not thinking of, oh, wow, that was an amazing report I wrote. A hundred percent. It's it's, a, it's the experiences. For me, it was, I, I agree with you so much that I look back to these experiences that I, the times that you had with people, the, mm-hmm. it was more the experiences versus, you know, anything that you owned. And you also look at, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you look at, if somebody was to give you a diamond, who cares? It's you want your, your family around you. You want your, you know, your friends. So mm-hmm. that's really powerful that you're, that you're thinking this way. And I think a lot more people are also thinking that related to COVID and other situations. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's been the silver lining of this entire experience is that people have had the opportunity to slow down and really reevaluate what life is going to look like for them after this pandemic is over. And I mean, I can't speak for anyone else, but I certainly am not going back to my old habits and old ways. And I'm going to relentlessly prioritize what's important to me and my, my mental health and, and, you know, the people that I love over working 24 seven, because that's yeah. not what I want to be remembered for. No, I'm, I always say to, and and maybe it annoys my kids and my family sometimes, but I always say if something bad happens, it's well, at least, and it's (laughs) the idea that at least, you know, this hasn't happened. At least none of us have COVID. At least we're able to, I'm able to spend more time. Like at lunch, I'm able to go Mm -hmm. outside my office and see my son working on, you know, and give him a hug. If he was at school, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So it's, so for you, you know, looking at your future, what, what else do you have that say you hope that you accomplish in your life or that experiences that you might have or. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to get a second cat and a dog. So that's definitely on like the short term horizon right now. My building has a. Oh, this is so ridiculous, but my building has a no dog policy. I'm like, why? What are we living yeah. in the Stone Age? Um, so I'm currently working this out with them right now so I can get a dog. Um, so that's, you know, huge for me. Animals bring me so much joy. My cat, Charlie, is like just the absolute love of my life. And so that is definitely something that I want to prioritize in the next few months. I want to make sure that I hit my sick kids hospital goals for the 25 million. We're looking to rebuild an entire new emergency wing of the hospital. And that so people that are listening, how can they help if uh, they're listening to this right now? Can they go to a website or 
Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, you can just contact me yourself if you're looking to support in any way. And I can give you a, a like a whole list of, of ways that you can support, like becoming a monthly donor, a one-time donation, a corporate donation. Uh, we also have an employee matching program. So if you want to get your employees involved at the community service level, um, we you know, have a ton of events if you want to sponsor one of our events or even, um, you know, send your, your employees to participate in our event. We, there's, there's, you could leave a, um, an amount of money in your will for sick kids if you're not making anything today, but you know, your earning potential is there, like then you can leave a small amount in your will for sick kids. There's so many different ways. We actually have four teams um, within the, the council and uh, we have an events team. We have the Upside Foundation team, which is companies that pledge 1% of their equity to sick kids like Coil has done. So if we exit in the next four to five years, 1% of our revenue goes to the the hospital. And we've actually made a lot of money that way because we've had some really successful tech companies exit. Um, And so far of the $25 million campaign, we've already raised 5 million. So we're we're on track to definitely um, hit our goals. We just um, are looking at more scalable methods to sort of tap into the entire tech community. And yeah, that is definitely a huge priority for me this year. Um, And I would say that it's important to raise you know, to, to have a successful company, but you know, what is your legacy going to be if you're not giving back to the community? And I think we're really lucky to have a hospital like sick kids in our backyard. We, we probably take it for granted. I don't have children, but I can imagine that if I did, it would just be peace of mind knowing that, um, a hospital that people have to travel from really far out to come to, uh, for special procedures and, um, degenerative, procedures and, and processes, I would say that we have access to at the tip of our fingertips. So yeah. always try to remind myself of that. It's also a great opportunity for those companies that are looking for a way of getting their employees engaged during COVID to be able mm-hmm. to, to volunteer and give back. I think that's really great. Thank you. Yeah, we have a lot of programs like we we do tours of the hospitals. We have storytelling with the children. We oh, wow. um you know, during Halloween and stuff, you can hand out candy. There's, um, there's, there's so many ways that you can get involved on the community engagement level, which I think is everybody wants to help. They just don't know how. And so we've mm-hmm. made it really easy for those who do want to help and get involved to know exactly where their funds are being allocated and to be able to actually do community service at sick kids. Oh, that's amazing. And so I'll ask you one final question. You know, it's always when you look back, you, you know, it's, it's nice to, you have so much experience. If you were younger, what would you say to your younger self in terms of what do you (laughs) wish you knew? Goodness. Um, you know, I think this is really cliche, but this too shall pass is such a classic one. I would say it's sort of evolved to my like mantra today is if it's not happening in front of you, then you're not allowed to think about it. And I wish that I had trained my younger self to be more mindfully present in in my day to day. I have spent so much time and still do. I'm not going to sit here and preach to be some mindfulness guru, but I've spent so many nights worrying about problems that never turned into problems. Mm-hmm. And borrowing worry from the future and I wish I could tell my my younger self that and my present day self that what you're worrying about today will not matter in five years and if it does then it too shall pass so try to be as present as you can and if it's not happening in front of you then you're not allowed to think about it 
I love that. For me, I, and it is a constant reminder is the idea that we're not our thoughts also. Yeah. And sometimes we can build things up in our minds so much that we're constantly worried or thinking about it. And so that was the other reason why I mm-hmm. liked that you said you like the bachelor seat. My secret is the housewives. Oh, I just love the housewives. To, yeah, okay, just to yeah, be able yeah. to like put it on and like, you know what, you, all the stress of everything else you have to do, you can just, you don't have to think, you can just watch and. Totally. Uh, Everyone yeah. needs a guilty pleasure. Everyone. And if you don't have one, then I suggest you get one because there's something we, there's a ton in our house. We watch friends, um, while we have breakfast together, um, every day and my sister and I live together. And so we watch friends every day and we've been watching friends since we were children, but it's like that mind numbing place of nostalgia that you can go back to and everyone should have one. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I think that, so many people are going to learn so much about from your experience. And I just really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. Such a pleasure talking to you. I'm glad we were able to finally make this happen. And I hope you have a great rest of your week and staying safe out there. Thank you for listening to WLN's Breaking Barriers podcast. We truly appreciate each and every one of you. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with a friend, write a review, or donate and become a member of our community. To find out about the amazing perks available to our members, visit patreon.com forward slash WLN Breaking Barriers. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. So visit womenleadershipnation.com, sign up for our mailing list to keep in touch with us and receive invaluable resources and new podcast episodes delivered to your inbox. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep breaking barriers.